2: It is 618 in the Twin Cities, 52 degrees. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Uh, all of you I know have been following the story uh, out of Barron, Wisconsin with uh, the missing 13-year-old girl, Jamie Closs. Her parents were found shot to death. Uh, they were just laid to rest today. Uh, but still, uh, two weeks later here, there is no sign of Jamie. And it's it's reminiscent certainly of some of the other Missing children's stories that, that I've covered over the years, none more important and more significant than that of Jacob Wetterling. And after Jacob disappeared in 1989, his parents founded the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center and really put together an effort uh, that is a model uh, for groups across the country and certainly in terms of gathering together. Uh, Coordinating efforts, coordinating education and outreach, so that when a child does does go missing, it's not sort of the haphazard reaction that occurred back in 1989 when, you know, before the internet, when there was so much less known about sexual offenders and and predators. Uh, And the group does so much good work and continues to do so much good work and is very much active still. Uh, even though the Jacob case uh, did come to a close, uh, sadly. But Allison Fay is the program manager at the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center and joins me right now. Allison, so great to talk to you. I've not talked to you in a long time. Thanks for having me, yes. Well, listen, I, you know, I know that you folks do such great work. Uh, it, it must be difficult, though, if, if, for all the work that that you have and all the advances that have been made to see a case like the Jamie Kloss. Story where despite all of these new efforts and and you know the, the new intelligence that, that people have, you still have a child that's missing.
0: Right, and part of what we do is the emotional support for the parents. We you know that's a big part of our usual job is you know helping explain things to parents as it unfolds so that they know what's happening as it's happening, and law enforcement can focus on finding the child. And in this case, the the horrible layers is that they're you know the parents are both deceased, so that. That piece, you know, the extended family getting involved and, and the community really getting involved in carrying her face out there,
2: just because the different dynamics in this case. What are some of the advances th- that you've noticed that, that have helped, you know, families and victims and communities compared to, you know, what, what was what, what there was when, when Jacob was taken?
0: I can't say enough good things about the free training that the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children offers to law enforcement when there isn't emergencies. You know, they, um, Patty Wetterling says it well in the sense that every, you know, police department knows how to handle stolen cars because they happen all the time and they have the system down. And cases like Jamie's, cases like Jacob's, you know, are cases that you might only see once in your lifetime as a law enforcement professional. And so the National Center does training year round for people um, in law enforcement on these cases, you know, providing specific books of like, here you go, tab by tab, how to handle this case. They have team Adam a um, retired law enforcement who gets special training, who can be dispatched to the scene to help with anything that might need, you know, whether it's um, figuring out leads or, you know, clearing out um, information about rewards, things like that. And so um, the, the big thing is to be prepared. These cases are so rare um, but the, no one wants to be caught off guard when they do happen. So one of the big changes is just really the quality and the and, um, the uh, availability of training for law enforcement.
2: We're, we're talking with uh, Allison Fay from the Jacob Wetterling Resource Center. Uh, I know that one of the things you do, Allison, personally, and other staff at the Wetterling Center do as well, is to go out and talk to kids about uh, – social media and the internet how big a, a problem is that and and do kids do you think really understand the potential dangers out there
0: well the tricky thing so we have about 115 kidnappings in the United States every year so that's very rare the stereotypical kidnappings are 115 we look at cases of um kids who are exploited and and it, you know depending on the study it's like one in 3 one in 4 girls one in 6 to one in 8 boys are being abused before they turn 18 so part of that is and that's you know, that's a being,
2: shocking figure.
0: Yes, and it and it's so, and it and it's the actual contact offenses. Like people ask, does that count? Like harassment or you know catcalling things like that. No, we're talking actual contact offenses. And so we have we do a lot of work on internet safety and personal safety, but also on you know not causing the harm. You know what does it mean when someone's uncomfortable? What does that look like in their body? How do we give someone space? Some of those messages as well. But we can never put personal safety solely on the shoulders of kids, and so that's why it's so important. You know, our parent class that we teach is the most popular class that we offer. We do parent class on internet safety and personal safety, um, training for youth serving organizations, you know, and the, the difficult thing, even in our non-family abductions and even in our non-family abuse cases, um, the number one lure isn't attention and affection, I'm sorry, the number one lure isn't the lost puppy or the, you know, the white van or, you know, the kids always ask, is it the white van? And talk to look for the white van. I'm like, there are great people who drive white vans and someone who breaks your safety rule might drive a white van. We need to ask what they're doing, you know, and the number one lure is attention and affection. So online, that lure, if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. You know, if someone's making your uh uh-oh feeling go off, it probably, that's probably something to stop and think about. So... We as adults have to do a better job, though, because we tell the kids to step away from the computer when they're upset, because that's when they make most of their mistakes, and then they rightfully turn it back on us and say, "Well, what about adults? Every every day we see people going to their keyboard when they're upset, and so we have to we have to shift the culture to a culture of kindness, a culture where no one harms
2: each other." Absolutely, and and I think I think that is so important as well. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, aren't aren't the vast majority of abductions still? Somebody that the child knows, correct, or family member. Yeah,
0: they have the um, NCIC that keeps track of missing people. They have about twenty two hundred entries in the United States every day of person who's missing. Almost all of them are recovered, um, and and the majority are kids who are running away from home, kids who are kicked out of their home, kids taken by a family member. But we don't want to minimize those cases because those kids are still in danger. You know, we know with with sex trafficking with other risk factors that kids who are um, on their own are, are at high risk for to be exploited. So, you know, sometimes people will minimize, oh, well, that child has just run away and, and it's like we need to make sure that they're in a place where they're safe with people who care about them um, and and we want to do whatever we can to help. And just, you know, Patty and Jerry started Jacob Wetterling Research Center because they want to make sure that crimes didn't happen to kids. Right, and we're we're still open because there are still crimes happening to kids. We'd love to work ourselves out of a job.
2: Right. Well, well, what you um, the the statistic again? Can you give that to us again about the the percentage or the numbers of kids that are sexually exploited before they turn eighteen? Because I never heard that one.
0: It depends on the study. It's um, one to three to one to four girls before they turn eighteen, and one to six to one to eight boys.
2: Wow. Okay. Cause th- that's something that's scary as well. Well, I was, you know, I, I, really, as I said, I was there all day, Tuesday, and we've had crews in and out of Barron all, yeah. um, since this happened. And, and I was there for the big search, but I just, I could not have been more impressed. First of all, the, the way the community came out, uh,
0: right. was just
2: amazing, you know, to see all those people searching and, and trying to find, uh, trying to find, uh, her. And it was very reminiscent in some ways of the way the community came out. Back when Jacob was taken for all those searches. Uh, but also just, I, it seems like the law enforcement, the FBI, and, and the Sheriff's Department were working together in, in this effort. Uh, and they say that they blazed through, you know, well over, I think they had 1,400, uh, leads and they'd already gotten through 1,200 and I'm sure they've gotten through even right. more and probably have gotten new ones as well. Um, and so I think I'm hopeful that that communication can, can do it, but I know that people, uh, obviously there are, are, are frustrated and, and just wishing that, that something a breakthrough could happen. Um, in terms of, of the work that you do, um, what's the best way to reach out to the Jacob Wetterling Center? I mean, you you talked about the fact that you've got classes for adults. You that you go out to schools. I mean, can people, you know, sign up for classes, you know, from the Jacob Wetterling Center?
0: Yeah, I mean it's usually done like a PTA or a faith community, or there'll be a host site that, that offers it and then we go in and do that work. We do some in our training center in Minneapolis. They can You know, follow us on Facebook. That's usually a good way of knowing what's going on or reach out to us at 1-800-325-HOPE. But one of the really powerful things with Jamie's case is that fact that people are communicating and people are out there. um, You know, what message that gives to a kiddo who is in her class right now looking around and feeling like the world's a scary place. And Mr. Rogers always said, when bad things happen, look for the helpers. And Varon right now, I mean, it's full of helpers and people getting her face out and, and then that's a message to kids of you're special and you deserve to be safe. You know, Absolutely. If something happens to any kid. We need to we need to reach hands together, grab on and move forward on behalf of kids. And so that message, the fact that people are pushing, that people are putting their faith out there, that it is, you know, the social media resources that we have now. Right. I mean, I always joke that it, it's true, but it's just funny that our first fundraiser at JWRC was for a brand new invention called the fax machine. Right. You know, in 1990, right. that was our first fundraiser, like, oh, we can fax out his poster, you know, and that, and then now faxes are pretty much obsolete, and just what the, you know, taking a picture on your phone and sending it out to 40 people, you can do that in 30 seconds, you know, right. and um, so the the cases do get, um, can go viral a lot faster for better, and, and that makes, can make it difficult for law enforcement trying to manage, but they're doing a wonderful yeah. job of clearing leads and staying focused and um, we won't know everything that they know, and there's a reason for that. And, and our job is, is to just get keep her face out there and and, um, and be a support as best as we can.
2: All right. Well, Alison Fay from the uh, Jacob Wetterling Resource Center, thanks so much for your time and uh, joining us tonight.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: Absolutely. They do such good work. All right. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Uh, I think we need to take a quick break right now. Uh, We will get an update from CBS at the bottom of the hour on the latest situation in that mass shooting in Pittsburgh. It is 6.35 in the Twin Cities uh, coming up at the top of the hour. We also will have another update from CBS News on the shooting at that synagogue in Pittsburgh that left 11 people dead, six injured, including four police officers. Uh, right now, though, we want to talk about the issue of sexual uh, sexual misconduct and domestic abuse. It feels like we are constantly hearing about it. Uh, it is constantly in the news And it's the focus uh, of a lot of news stories. It's the focus of a lot of discussion and debate in this country. Uh, A few weeks ago, uh, I had on Jennifer Polzin. She's the CEO of Tubman. Uh, They're an organization uh, that helps domestic abuse victims uh, and and counsels men and women on this issue and and provides uh, resources to help people. And the, the discussion, we had a pretty full show that night and it wasn't as full as I would have liked it to be because she had such great information uh, so she's very kindly agreed to come back on this evening. Uh, so Jennifer Polson for the CEO of Tubman, thank you so much for coming back. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, listen, I do want to ask you sort of, you know, as somebody who, who has, you know, been in this business a long time, what are you seeing in terms of, uh, are you seeing increased calls when it comes, when we have these stories about somebody being accused of sexual misconduct? Are you getting more calls?
1: We are. In fact, as I looked at uh, the time periods of August and September of last year and this past August, September, and actually the first uh, bit of October, our calls overall went up 11% over the previous year. But when we looked at the two weeks around the time of uh, the Senate hearing and Dr. Ford's testimony, Our calls actually went up
2: 39 percent. Wow. Compared to that same two week period the year prior. Okay. Uh, And this is, of course, the dramatic testimony that took place uh, in the confirmation hearings uh, for Judge Kavanaugh, in which uh, Christine Blasey Ford, uh, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, came forward uh, with the allegation that uh, he had sexually assaulted her when they were teenagers uh, many years ago. I think it was 30 years ago. Uh, the bottom line is is Dr. Kavanaugh – or Professor Kavanaugh um, – or Judge Kavanaugh was confirmed. He is now a Supreme Court justice. There Does that – has that had a chilling effect, do you think, on people coming forward?
1: I think so. You know, it's um, – it will be interesting to see how many people – Um, don't come forward because they feel as though um, they aren't going to be believed. Um, What we know is that there are many people who are very frightened to report to law enforcement or if it's harassment that's happening in a workplace setting, um, they may be very hesitant for fear of retaliation. And whenever we have a very public story, um, the response to what is being covered in the media, the general public's response and social media's response often does impact how survivors feel and who they trust in telling their story. And often it is very re-traumatizing for people um, who hear those stories. um, Again, even if they feel as though they've addressed uh, what's happened to them? Many people haven't, and they may never have told another person about it, let alone reached out for help professionally.
2: And, and let's let's talk about that because uh, this station is such a wonderful large reach. Uh, Jennifer, what, which, where should people go if they know somebody who's in trouble, or if they're in trouble themselves, or who can they call?
1: Yes, uh, in Minnesota, we have a statewide. A domestic Violence Crisis Line, that helps connect people to resources nearest them. And that number is 1-866-223-1111. Or people can call their local organization, an organization like Tubman. Um, they can call us. They can go to our website, which is tubman.org. Um, But there are lots of organizations like ours that are there with a listening ear and lots of professional services um, and can help guide people to the services that that most fit their situation and, most importantly, can help them develop a personalized safety plan.
2: Let me ask you, do you hear, and and obviously I think one of the things that that I've learned from talking to people like you and in covering stories all these years is that – Domestic abuse doesn't discriminate. It, it, it's an equal opportunity affliction. Whether you're you're rich or poor, or white or black or red, you can still be a victim, or a man or woman. Uh, Absolutely. What I do, I am curious though. Do you get a lot of calls from teenagers or young people? We yes.
1: Thank you for asking. Um, We know there are some really striking reasons why prevention and reaching out to youth when they first start to experience uh, harassment or controlling behavior is so crucial, Um, but even before that with prevention, um, national studies show that one in three adolescent girls is physically, emotionally, sexually, or verbally abused by a dating partner.
2: And we there actually just heard that, you- that from our, our previous guest who's with the David yeah. Wetterling yes. Center who said, said something you know very similar both with girls and boys. So I think that that's yes. y- y- and, and it's shocking to me, as, as, as especially as a mother and a mother of a teenage girl.
1: Yes. And what's interesting is that um, in just the three counties that we primarily serve, Hennepin, Ramsey, and Washington counties, of middle and high school students surveyed have been the victim of sexual jokes, comments, or gestures. 38% report online bullying, which is up from 13% just in 2013. 5% of 11th graders report physical dating violence and 8% report sexual dating violence. That's from the Minnesota student survey that's done every two years.
2: And and that is startling. I mean, so when you get when you get those calls or when, when a young person calls, somebody who's under 18, um and they can call this number that you, that you put out 866 223 1111. What are some of the the concerns they might have as opposed to somebody who is maybe just a few years older but legally an adult?
1: You know, um they might be really just scared that they're going to get in trouble. Right. From their parents. Maybe they aren't supposed to be uh, dating this person. Um, you know, maybe uh, they're worried that they're going to get their partner in trouble or, um, you know, in trouble at school or suspended from their sports team or whatever it may be. Um, what happens is, you know, it often starts as controlling behavior and it can quickly escalate to more serious abuse and isolation from help. But youth often underreport dating violence because there's this myth that it's really romantic, you know, that um, this person cares so much about you that they won't leave you alone, <laughs> you know, that right. they want to spend all of this time with you. And um, they'd rather that you hang out with them than with your friends. So that isolation starts out um, really kind of feeling like this head over heels thing. And then it can become really damaging over right. time before they even realize it.
2: Right. And and I think that fear of, of the parental disapproval or maybe they're not supposed to be dating at all or dating this person, as you mentioned, or may, maybe there was alcohol involved and they're obviously not supposed to drink. Yeah. You know, that that I yep. think is 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 very, very Difficult, and I think I think always has been. Um, in terms of, of the resources, or let me ask you, speaking with with, with kids here, is there enough? Um, you know, a previous guest uh, Allison Fay was talking about you know the education, the resources, you know, going to schools, talking to kids. Is there enough of that on this subject? And and when do you start? You know, um,
1: I think that most of us would say that the demand for services like ours, um, school-based violence prevention, and coming into schools, um, we get asked into far more settings than than we have the people to send. Um, We all want prevention in our community, and Minnesota still is a leader in that area, and yet funding is really hard to come by. Designated specifically for prevention, so um, you know we uh, starting in uh, middle schools is really important. Certainly, high schools and college campuses um, that's still important as well. Elementary schools, it's um, you know the approach is much different. But uh, just talking about um, you know having a voice and set what boundary setting looks different when you're eight. Than it does when you're 12. But there is still language uh, that we can use to describe that and help people identify who is a trusted, safe person they can talk to about this. Um, and we know that of adults that have experienced violence, whether it be physical or sexual or emotional, um, over half, both men and women, um, report that it started between the ages of 11 and 24. Wow. So it really is youth and young adults. That can be such a crucial time that can affect the rest of our lives.
2: Jennifer Polson is the CEO of Tubman. We're talking about, uh, and they're a group that that helps with resources and and helps people who are victims of uh, sexual misconduct or or domestic abuse. Um, Going back to that young People in the education piece, especially if it's 11 to 24, you really do need that education piece in the middle schools. I do know that the University of Minnesota, I think this is its second or third year, requires – and I think many other schools do as well – requires a full day of for incoming freshmen to, to – mm-hmm talk about this and study it. And um, I did a story on it when this first started. And I, I just was really impressed with, with the curriculum for that day. That said, in other words, you've got to do this. But it talked about all these scenarios. There was role-playing. And I thought, gosh, you know, this is something that, that all colleges should have. I, I, has that had any impact, do you think? You know, I think it can be really
1: helpful in um, starting a conversation and giving people language to use to describe what may be happening. But the thing that also is really helpful about that, whether it be middle school, high school, or college age uh, programs like that, is that it helps address bystanders. So people who, you know, something may be happening to our friend and we don't know what to say or what to do or how to speak up if something, we're at a party and something starts to kind of go down and we're not really, it doesn't feel right, but we don't know how to intervene. Um, you know, nobody wants to be that one who's not the fun one. Right. Um, and so, I mean, you know, it, it's much uh, more serious than peer pressure. It really is about how how to have the tools and the confidence and know how to intervene while keeping yourself safe right. as well as hopefully your, your friend. And also it's about how to... Um, how to interact with people who have used violence because often they've experienced it as well and it doesn't excuse the abusive behavior, but there are programs and services available for people who have used violence as well. And so how to interact with, with those people because they're not the scary monsters that um, people may imagine. You know, they're, they're people with lives and histories and friends, and um, there there are services available for them as well.
2: Jennifer, we have to take a quick break, but I'd like to see if you could uh, stay with us for a few more minutes because I wanted to ask you about the online component and, and people being, in some cases, blackmailed by sexting and, and that kind of problem uh, in terms of the control part of what you're talking about. So we're going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll continue this conversation with Jennifer Polzin, the CEO of Tubman, after this. It is 652 in the Twin Cities. Uh, chatting with Jennifer Polzin, she's the CEO of Tubman. It's an organization that helps domestic abuse victims, uh, also helping people with sexual misconduct allegations. Uh, the number you can call, the statewide number, one 223 1111 And that's 24-7, right, Jennifer? Correct. Okay. Yes. Let me ask you. There was a horrible case in in Utah where a young woman was murdered. Uh, She attempted to break up uh, with a student – with her former boyfriend after finding out he had been lying to her. And she apparently – one of the forms of harassment or his attempts to control her was uh, by saying that he would release sexually explicit pictures he had of her. Is that something that, that is increasingly common? Is that something people should be concerned about?
1: yes um there's a whole a whole term for it um it's often referred to as revenge porn um and it can be something where somebody sends a picture of themselves uh to somebody that they're seeing um i think there's a myth that on certain social media sites you know that it's going to disappear after you know however many uh seconds or minutes um but nothing really disappears online and so Um, Our social media footprint or pictures on a cell phone, um, you know, they can go viral so quickly. And so sometimes then that becomes um, this harassment and bullying and source of humiliation um, that can follow someone for a really long time. Not just that their classmates and other people will find out, but um, it just adults finding out, um, it can follow someone um, as they're looking for a job, um, you know, in their future or current uh, situation. So it really, it's a thing.
2: Right. And and is that that something that you see people threatened with or or, or they try and use it as a source of control? Yes.
1: Yes, absolutely. Hmm. Um, And the same with anything. I mean, the amount of data just on on our cell phones is pretty incredible. So, it can be um, emails, it can be texts. Um, There's all kinds of cyber safety concerns for people um, that need to be addressed when you really put together a safety plan. And um, sometimes it's a threat and intimidation tactic um, so that when, uh, you know, in the case of somebody trying to break up with someone, or when they have uh, ended a relationship um, as a fear tactic uh, so that they stay together. Other times it can be while they're in the relationship, but there are all kinds of other things that can be dangerous. Um, you know, even things that seem so simple, like our GPS functions that help us get from point A to point B, can actually be things that can be used uh, to control uh victims of domestic violence and dating violence.
2: All right. And I want to give out your number again, one 223 1111 Is there enough, and, and I do want to stress, obviously men can be victims and, and boys can be victims as well. Is there enough conversation though with boys and men about domestic violence and domestic abuse?
1: You know, I would say not. Um, you know, we, we have come a long way. I've been doing this work for, um, just over 25 years now, and certainly we've come a long way, um, in that time period. But there's still a lot of, you know, kind of that, that, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, that stigma for anyone to come forward. But then kind of the teasing and disbelief, um, you know, what's the matter? Can't you, you know, can't you handle, uh, your woman kind of, Thing. And it should be pointed out that domestic violence and sexual violence and stalking, all of that happens in same-sex relationships as well.
2: Absolutely. So absolutely,
1: um, it, it can be hard. And there, in some communities, there are far fewer resources for people who identify as male. Right. There right. are resources, though, here um, in this community and across this region. So it's really important that people do reach out for help. Okay.
2: Alright, well listen, thank you so much for coming on, and, and it's such an important conversation. I'm going to give out your number, or the number for the hotline again, one 223 1111 Jennifer Polson of Tubman, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Esme.
2: Alright, uh, keep it right here, News Radio 830-WCCL.